This morning, we are going to continue in our series in the book of James called God's Blueprint Plan for Faith. And so for the last couple of weeks, we have been um, just jumped. We've only, we've, in, I'm not sure, I, I initially planned 10 weeks of this series. Uh, I'm not quite sure if that's still going to hold because it took us three weeks. Well, it's going to take us three weeks just to get through James chapter 1. And so it might be an extra couple of weeks as there are five chapters in James. It might be an extra couple of weeks uh, to finish this up. But hopefully it's been blessing you. Hopefully it's been not just you've been experiencing the power of God's word, but also some practical things to help you and grow. And so in the, two weeks ago, we talked about God's blueprint plan for maturity. We handled the first 12 verses of James chapter 1. And in these verses, we saw the plan um, to, that would encourage us to grow in our maturity. And um, so I would encourage you to go online and listen to the message if you missed it or if you need a refresher of any kind. And then last week, we talked about God's blueprint plan. That's a tough word to say, blueprint plan. Sorry, my ADD's on me today. Anyway, that's my, just my excuse for my lack of focus. Last week, so we talked about the blueprint plan for overcoming temptation, and we, we talked about in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, see that temptation does come from a very real devil that you need to actually believe in. It does not serve you well to go through life without believing the devil is real, um, because he is very real, and he is out to get you and tempt you and trip you up. And so we talked about how it comes from him, and that there's a very real uh, component on this earth and he desires to trap you in sin. And so hopefully we're able to understand that temptation has a process and that process will always lead to death and that there is always, always, always a way out of temptation. And so if, if you missed that message, you can log online and listen to that one as well. That link was broken earlier this week. I didn't even realize it until the end of the week, so it should be fixed now. And then today we're going to jump into James and we're going to finish out James chapter 1 with verses 19 through 27, as I think is where we're at. Yeah, 19 through 27. And we're going to talk about God's plan for who he says you are, for who he says that you are. I believe that we've listened far too long and far too often as to what other people think and say that we are, that we've not given God enough voice into who we are. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And as we do this, I am going to just go through the first part of James chapter 1 and in the first, um, first three or four verses and just break those down so that we can, because that's going to help us to understand what God wants to speak to us as we move on. You got to fill in a blank sheet. There are some blanks that you will fill in. There's a lot of blanks for notes um, because it would have been way too many blanks if I try to put everything that I'm about to cover in there. It'll all be up on the screen for you to see. So let's look at James chapter 1, verse number 19 through 21. That's where we're going to start. The Bible says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak. I can stop right there and we could have church and go home because that's, that's one of the greatest challenges in humanity today. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And verse 21, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. 
All right, so in those first few verses, there's a few things I want to highlight for us. There's a few things I want to break down to give us a little bit clearer understanding. And right in verse number 19, the three phrases that I find, it says, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Those are the three phrases I'm going to break down a little bit for you this morning. And the first one being quick to listen. So as you know that in my study and my time when I prepare to deliver a message, I always want to study it as deeply as I possibly can, get all the original language that I can possibly get, the context, everything, and then hopefully package it together to, that it makes some sense to you. Because um, sometimes I do all of that, and then after I'm done writing it down, it doesn't even make any sense to me. And I kind of have to re, reformulate some things so, so I can understand it better. So hopefully this helps you to understand this process. So the Bible says quick to listen. The word quick literally means promptly and immediately, without delay. So promptly and immediately, we are supposed to be quick to listen. So we're supposed to immediately listen. But the reality is we don't immediately listen. We usually immediately speak. We hear someone's thoughts or someone's perspectives or someone's ideas or even someone's beliefs and we are quick to just shout back and speak ours and our thoughts and our opinions and our beliefs rather than listening to what they have to say. Anybody other than me in this place guilty of that? I am, you just shook your head, don't do that to me, don't shake your head no at me. Wow, see that's just going to mess me up today. I, I have notoriously been that guy. I am that guy. For a long time, people didn't even want to share anything with me because the moment they said something, boom, I was on it. Because you know what? Here's the reality of life. I know everything. I have the answers to fix every problem that you have. If you would just stop talking and listen to me, you're going to be okay. Now, that sounds ridiculous, right? That's what I thought. I really, I didn't actually consciously believe that, but that's the way I would respond in that fashion. Imagine, imagine being my wife in that situation. I could fix her all day long. I, t I, I know every problem. I got the answer to every one of your problems. Just listen. I actually told her that one time. I told her, I said, listen, listen, Linda, Linda, listen. Although her name is Alicia. I love that. I watch that video every, every so often, so I got to get back on track. I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling full of energy and caffeine today, and it's not a good, it's not a good mix. It's got one or the other, I can't have both. So anyway, we're going to keep going. Laugh at me, please, because it's the only way we're going to get through this. Anyway, so I literally told my wife one time, I said, honey, I understand what you're going through, which was already a lie, because if I'm going to truly understand, I would have listened, and I didn't really listen all that well. So I said, I understand what you're going through, let me tell you how to fix it. And she just looks at me. And so I begin to rattle off this whole, this is how you fix this problem. And she just looked at me and said, yeah, I'm done with you. I'm like, what's the problem? This is how you fix it. I told her, I said, well, if you would just listen to me more, you would have less issues. Yeah, that didn't go over so well in my house. We won't tell the rest of that story. I still want you to respect your pastor. But the reality is, quick means we have to promptly and immediately, promptly and immediately do what? Listen. See, people have this comp thing, what they think listening means. They think listening means I heard your voice speak. Now it's my turn to speak. That's not what actually listening means. Listening literally means to comprehend by hearing. 
And so here's, here's, the, here's how it relates. As it relates to God, it means to hear in such a way that it prompts faith to rise up in you and causes a change. So it's kind of like, and, and to use one of my old metaphors, I, didn't, I, love, I used to love the movie when I was younger. I used to love the movie White Man Can't Jump. I loved the dialogue. I didn't realize later, because I've only ever seen it on TV. I didn't realize until I watched it on a movie channel how horrible the language was in that movie. So I'm just sticking to watching it on TV because it's really bad. And so, but there's a scene in the movie where, where, where Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson are driving down the city street in a, in a convertible, and he puts on Jimi Hendrix. And, and Wesley Snipes' character is like, oh, what is this? And of course, it was a, it was a white and black dialogue, and he says, what are, you doing what are you doing listening to Jimmy? He's like, I like to listen to it. And their arguments were ridiculous most of the time. And he's like, see, that's the problem with white people. Y'all just listen to Jimmy. You can't hear Jimmy. And he's like, I just said I like to listen to it. He says, no, you can't. You just, you can't hear it. You got to hear it. You got to feel it. You got to hear it. You can't just listen. So, of course, he changes the movie to some bluegrass country type music. And then, of course, he said, well, don't nobody want to hear that. And some of you may. But the whole point of that was there's a difference between listening and hearing. Listening means I've activated the, the physicality of the organ of my ears, and I'm able to hear a noise coming out of your mouth. Hearing means I'm comprehending what you're saying, I'm digesting what you're saying, and I'm slow to respond. I'm quick to listen, I'm quick to understand, quick to dialogue, and to put it together, if you're quick to listen, it would mean I'm, com I'm commanded. This is, this is James. Understand that James is given directive here. This isn't just a suggestion. This isn't just, maybe this would work well if you did it like this. No, this is, this is a directive from, from God through James to you. He says, he's commanded to immediately and intently comprehend what both God and someone else is saying, as it should draw me to action and not rebuttal. Let me say that again because that's not up on the screen. I believe putting this thing together, quick to listen, literally means I am commanded to immediately and intently comprehend both what God and what someone else is saying as it should draw me into action and not a rebuttal. That's, that's the problem in our society today. I'll just, I'm just going to call it, it's, it's a problem in our society as it relates specifically to race in our society. Because here's what happens, and, and it's, this, isn't necessarily, this, is, this isn't necessarily a bad thing on either side. It's, it's a lack of truly hearing, listening, and comprehending. So when you hear someone say something like, black lives matter, the thought is immediately to rise up while all lives matter. And what we didn't do is comprehend and listen to what is important to that, that person and why they made that suggestions, we just want to say, well, that's just ridiculous because every life matters. And the reality is, to God, all lives truly matter. But we have to engage a conversation where we listen and comprehend why is this person feel like his life doesn't matter because it's based on his skin color. It's an important dialogue to have to understand why. Because I will tell you right now, as a, a middle-aged white man, I don't understand what, it, what it's like, nor will I ever understand what it's like to be a black man in the United States of America of any generation. So in order for me to comprehend, I have to listen. I have to engage in a dialogue and listen, but yet we can't get past our own thought process 
and our reaction is rather, rather than to engage and comprehend, it's to rebut what we hear. James is telling us, you need to be quick to listen. And then the flip side of that is slow to speak. Slow literally means taking time to deliberate. Unhurried, get this, you're unhurried while still moving forward. Man, I tell you what, this is so difficult for me to grasp. I have such a challenge with this part of this, of this passage of Scripture and even in preaching it because I almost didn't preach it because I don't reflect it very well. And so I was like, but at the same time, I have to remember that I preach first to myself. And if I get it, hopefully you will. But being slow to speak, being, being slow means to take my time to deliberate, being unhurried while still moving forward. For me, moving forward usually has one speed. And it's as fast as I can possibly go. Quickly, let's go. I want to get where we're going to go quickly. I remember early on in the church when I was leading this, leading this church, I oftentimes said, let's go. And we just start, we, I, I would think, my thought was we're going and I'm leading and we're going and I would get five, six steps up and I turn around and there's nobody there. And I'm by myself. Like, okay, that didn't really work well. So let me back back up. Let's try. Let me, let me tell them in a different way maybe. And so I would, re, I would restructure what I just said and I said, okay, now let's go. And I would go and go and go and there'd be nobody there again. And I had to realize that my speed for me isn't always the best speed for everyone around. And that's what he's talking about. That's, he's referring to speed in the way we respond. I am slow. I'm unhurried while still moving forward. And then I came to realize you can actually move forward at a slower pace and still actually get where you're going. You don't have to go 100 miles an hour everywhere you go. I learned that. And for me, that's a huge lesson to learn. So he says you're slow to speak. The word speak is very simple. There's nothing, no deep revelation in the scripture about the word speak. It just literally means to talk. Okay, flap your gums, run your mouth, whatever you want to call it. Be slow to do those things. Be slow to speak. I'll tell you right now, in a marriage right now, this will set your marriage free if you can get this. If you, are, if you are in relationship with a significant other, it will set you free if you can get the quick to listen, slow to speak thing. Because I've been doing, I've been, I've been married to my wife for 17 years, and I think I'm just now starting to get the quick to listen part. Uh, I'm more slow to listen still, but I'm just now actually listening more. It's a miracle that we've lasted 17 years. We had this conversation with a, a bunch of, it, the, the, the wisest thing we had, we played golf yesterday with a bunch of men, and um, it was a really, really good time, and the wisest thing that I heard all day was that we talked, we had a, a brief conversation about how long we'd been married, and the wisest thing I heard said all day was, I'm still married after so many years because my wife puts up with me. That's the wisest thing that said, was said all day. Women are the wisest people there is. I, it, it pains me to say that sometimes, but... The reality is it's so true. Because 17 years, I've not been quick to listen. I've not been slow to speak, yet I'm still married. And praise God for the miracle that he does in that. So we're quick to listen. We're slow to speak. And then the third part of that is we're slow to get angry. This is another difficult challenge in our society. We're slow to get angry. It's still the same slow speed that we talked about before. It's the same word, which means to deliberate, being unhurried while still moving forward. But angry means to have, this, is, this word just, getting angry is different than being angry. We all get angry from time to time. If you have children, you get angry from time to time. There's a difference between getting angry 
and being angry. And this word actually is referring to the latter of that being angry. It means to have an internal disposition which firmly opposes someone based on personal experience or preference. That's what the word means. That's a lot of words. It's an internal disposition, meaning it's part of your character. Anybody ever know someone who's just always angry? They flip out over everything. Flip out over a cold meal. Flip out over slow service. Flip out over the person driving in front of them. Flip out over a teacher. They flip out over everything. That's a character issue. That's not just a I'm angry issue. That's a character issue. And that's what he's talking about. It's an internal disposition, an internal character. It's an inclination which firmly opposes someone based on my preference or my experience. Notice what anger is. Anger is the ultimate of selfishness because it's all about me. And so Paul is, uh, James is saying in this passage, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to get angry, meaning don't walk with the character that suggests that you're angry. Now, you don't have to see someone explode in order to see anger, because there's all kinds of anger. There's the kind of person who keeps it all bottled up inside. And it's, you almost always hear when there's a tragic shooting of some kind, or there's somebody walks onto a co- college campus and starts shooting people, you always hear that they, they, I would never have thought that from that person. It's because their, their, their inclination towards anger was, was covered up and it was inside. So it's not always explosive in, in a day-to-day life. It can be explosive just one time. And so we have to be slow to walk in that character, guarding that. And here's the thing. If, you, if, you, if you're quick to listen, you're slow to speak, and you're slow in anger, that means you're moving forward unhurried, but still moving forward, and you'll be able to pick and recognize when those moments come. That's what James is telling us. That's just verse number 19. In verse number 20, he, he brings up in verse number 20, James chapter 1, verse 20, he brings up human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So this anger that we talked about, this character of being angry inside, this inclination I have to be frustrated or angry or mad because you don't agree with my preference or what my experience would say. Experience is both a great thing and a killing thing. Because all my experience means, okay, I have some value at the table, but all my experience means I think I know everything. And so you have to navigate that land very, very carefully because that kind of anger that might sit inside of you does not. He said, what does the Bible say in verse 20 again? It says, it says that anger, where's that? Lost it. There it is. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. God desires righteousness from you. Anger does not produce it. And not only does it not produce it, it is completely incapable of producing it. And the person who walks around with that character, that inclination towards anger, cannot produce righteousness. Cannot. It's not even a suggestion that they might not. They cannot. See, we don't have to search long in Jesus' sermon. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, if you've never read Matthew chapter 5 all the way through, I would suggest you do it it at some point in time. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. And Jesus' sermon on the mount, you you don't have to look long before you find probably the background that James was pulling a lot of this from. Because he said, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 6 through 10, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it for time's sake. He says, the ones who are blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Those are the ones that find themselves blessed. What does that mean by blessed? That means those are the ones that find themselves able to produce the righteousness that God desires. Those are the ones. Those that are hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Those who desire to do what's right and then actually put action to that desire. There's a whole lot of folks that say, oh, I just want to live my life right today. Because tomorrow I want to be at the club and I want to be partying and drinking and, and engaging and all of that. You know, as, a, as an Uber driver, one of the things I, I get to hear a lot about is there's a whole lot of Christians that are getting hammered on a regular basis. They get in my car. We talk about it. Like, oh, yeah, I grew, I grew up in church, and I'm a, I'm a believer, and I'm a Christian. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're slurring like crazy right now, brother. Like, where's, the, where's, where's this righteousness that God seeks? And it's, 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 and it's not to suggest that he's, he's not, because that's between him and God. But I can look at certain things and certain behaviors and see what does and does not line up with the Word of God and make a few assessments, not judgments, but assessments to say, yeah, you probably might need to grow in that area of your faith a little bit. And everybody can do that with me as well. Just have a conversation with me. You'll know, you'll, you have a good conversation with me, a good long conversation, you'll know where I need to grow. I promise you. We don't hide it very well. So with this above anger that we're talking about, it cannot and will not produce righteousness. Human anger, I, re I read this, I read this and I, I, I'm afraid I cannot give credit to the person who wrote it because I don't know who wrote it, but I read it one time. He said, human anger and divine righteousness are at odds with one another. The person who acts in anger does not carry or produce righteousness. The person who acts in anger does not carry or produce righteousness. In the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus then speaks specifically about anger. And it's the same word that James used, the same Greek word James used. He said, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anger is a pretty serious thing. And anybody who's angry with their brother will be subject to judgment. Here's what you have to read through that. He doesn't define who and where judgment comes from. Now, we all think that all judgment relies, rests with God, but that's actually not really true because the world judges us very well. And if we have walk around angry, at some point in time, anger is going to bubble over. We're going to do something that we shouldn't be doing. And then the court's going to tell us, you need to go to anger management classes. Or your wife's going to tell you, you need to get a hold of your anger. And you need to get something. So you're being judged for your anger. And ultimately, anyone who's angry with one another will ultimately be judged by God. And that's a little bit of verse number 20 for you. In verse number 21, the Bible says, So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. This, this, one, this one made me laugh a little bit when I studied it. So it says, get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. And you're probably thinking, what on earth made you laugh about that? I'll tell you in a second. Get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. So the word filth in that context literally means moral pollution that desecrates the soul. Have you ever, anybody ever been to a major city where they produce something like Detroit, where they produce cars and, and there's a lot of pollution in the city of Detroit. You go to New York, Baltimore, big major cities where there's production, you see a lot of pollution and you, only, you know it's pollution because when the, sun go, when the sun goes down, it gets pitch black outside, you still can't even see the moon. 
where if you just went 10 minutes, 15 minutes outside the city, you see stars and moon and everything. Part of that is the lights that are around. There's a light pollution, but there's also a, 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 a pollution that actually desecrates the sky, and you're not able to see it. Well, that's what this filth is. This is moral pollution that desecrates your soul. So here's the reality. Get rid of everything in your life that doesn't bring your soul health. That'll challenge a lot of what we do, a lot of what we watch, a lot of what we say. That it will challenge that because if it's not producing life in my soul, then it's got to be polluting it. It's got to be desecrating it. The word evil, this is where I got a little chuckle. The word evil is, literally means it's vicious malice towards God or his creation. Vicious malice. Evil is meaning I am malicious. I am intently nasty to somebody. I'm intently mean to someone. I'm evil towards that person. The Greek word for that, not even kidding. The Greek word for that word evil is kaka. I'm not even lying. Kaka. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've heard some kids tell their parents, Mommy, Daddy, I got to make kaka. So you can use your own creative license to what God's telling you to get rid of. Because that's the reality. It's interesting how evil rhymes with something gross and disgusting. So get rid of filth, get rid of evil, and then the glorious part of that is humbly accept the word of God planted in your heart. See, and we, this is something we mentioned, I mentioned earlier too with our team, is it's not enough to know what the word says, you have to accept what it says. There's a difference in welcoming it into my mind and welcoming it into my heart. Welcoming it into my mind means I have knowledge, and knowledge is Okay, you heard someone say once, knowledge is power. And in the world, knowledge is power. But in the kingdom of God, knowing Christ intimately is power. I don't care what you know about him. Matter of fact, I guarantee sitting in this room, there's a whole lot of people who know a lot more about scripture than I do. Guaranteed. That just comes with my walk with Jesus, my age. There's a lot of things I don't know. But here's what I do know. You can know more than me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have more power than me. And I, some of you very may well. But that's the reality. I, I've run across so many people who know the word of God. But even for a moment, isn't about to break out a couple of bucks to give it to a homeless person. They're not even going to break out a couple of bucks and give it to God. But yet they know all this knowledge about God. So it's not about what you know. It's about accepting the word that has been planted in you. So the Bible says that to accept this word means to warmly receive. The word humble literally means with a gentle strength. That's what that, that word humble is not the same word humble that's used in other places in Scripture. This one means with a gentle strength, warmly welcome what? The word of God that is planted in your heart. He planted this, the word of God in you, and when he planted it in you, you have now the ability to tap into accepting the word that is in you. You have the ability to say, I, I know what this says about me, so now let me walk this out. Let me live this out. This word that's planted in you, this planting literally means that it's inborn, that it's ingrown, that it's natural, that it's rooted, that it's established. What is established? The divinely uttered word of God. This Bible was not penned by men. Even though Paul wrote it and James wrote it and Matthew wrote parts, and Luke wrote parts, and Moses wrote parts, and 
Abraham, he was mentioned, but he wrote too, but nothing that you'd find here necessarily. But they didn't write it on their own. They were inspired by God to write it. That's why it's infallible. That's why it has no error in it. Because it was divinely uttered by God. And so that's what he has planted in you. This word has been planted in you and he's telling you with gentle strength, receive it. Receive it in your heart. Receive it in your soul. Because why? Because it has the ability and the power to save your soul. Not just salvation. He's not talking about just salvation. Because what's the soul? The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. That's your soul. Mind, will, emotions. Your body. That's your soul. Like I have my own mind. God wants to save my mind. He wants to save my will. He wants to save my emotions. He wants to save my body. A whole not talking about salvation as a part, but it's whole salvation. I don't just believe that our, just our spirit is saved so we can go to heaven, but I believe God desires to save our whole soul, redeem our minds, redeem our will. Because your will is yours, but he wants to redeem it that it reflects him. That's his desire. So humbly accept the word of God planted in your heart. Here's the thing. Understanding all of that The reason why that's important this morning and for what we're doing is because it leads us to where we're going. It leads us to this plan of who he says you are. Because the reality is, in all of this, if we're not quick to listen, if we're not slow to speak, if we're not slow to get angry, if we don't emulate God's righteousness, if we don't remove filth, if we don't remove the evil, if we don't humbly accept the word of God planted in our hearts, you will never, ever truly know who you are. And it's not to suggest that I have to be perfect to know who I am. This is, this is more of a willingness and a desire and a walking out than it is anything. Because there is still times when I am quick to speak and slow to listen. Notice that's the opposite of what James said. That's, there's many times I'm still so quick to speak and slow to listen. There's many times that, that I, 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 I get frustrated, I get angry. Or there's several times when I look and say, man, I really probably shouldn't be doing this. Eh, and I do it anyway. And all I would say to that person is, guess what? Welcome to life. You are just like Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Because he said, it's the very thing I hate is what I do. He hated sin. And he would sin. So you're never going to remove those parts from, your, from who you are completely. But if you are on that journey where that's your desire to remove the filth, remove the evil, evil accept the word of God that's planted in you, then you really have an opportunity to know who you are. So now I want to get to chapter 1, verse 22 through 27, where we're going to stay for the last 15 or so minutes that we have today. And this is what I really want to get across to you as it relates to who God says you are. So James chapter 1, verse 22, starts like this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Let's stop there for just a second. Verse 22 is just letting us know that if we... Don't, if we just listen to everything that we hear, this is the difference again between listening and hearing. Listening means I've heard it. Hearing means I'm doing something about it. So if we just listen to God's word, we run the risk of being foolish and deceiving ourselves if all we ever do is listen. Because here's what the reality is. If all you ever do is listen, you're going to come to find out that you're really not who you think or say that you really are. 
That's truth. If all you ever do is just listen, but don't hear, don't embrace it, don't walk it out, don't live it out, don't let it do its work, then you're going to come one day and find out, I'm really not who I said I was. Because that's, that's, that's the definition of foolishness, is being foolish. So he says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. In verse number 23, for if you listen to the word and don't obey... It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. Glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Imagine that. Imagine that you look in the mirror and you see your face. You see the picture of your face. You know it. You walk away and it's like, I forgot what I looked like. Hold on a second. Let me go back and look again. That's, that's what he's saying. Being disobedient to God's word is that. It's Because here's the truth, here's the reality. Every human on the face of the earth, regardless of any, any religious affiliation, regardless of any other thoughts, they were all created by the same God. Every last one of them. Whether it's the atheist, the Muslim, the Buddhist, the gay, the straight, the transgender, it does make a difference. Every single person who ever breathed on this earth was created by the same God. And he made every last one of them in his image. And God does not create junk. So because that's the fact, this is the barometer of who you are and what you look like. This is your mirror. And he's saying when you are not in a line with the word of God, when you're not obedient to the word of God, it's like walking into an actual mirror and saying, huh, I kind of like what I see. And walking away and say, man, what color was my eyes? Oh, I forgot. Okay. That's foolish, right? That's silliness. But that's what he's saying. He's saying disobedient to God's word leaves us in that condition. When we live like this, we deceive ourselves. And what we are actually seeing is not what is actually there. What we are actually seeing is not what is actually there. Because we're just seeing what's on the surface. This is the mirror that gets way past the surface. Because I tell you what, writing this message was difficult for me this week because it convicted me. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quick to listen. I'm slow to listen, quick to respond. God, help me with that. That's my prayer all that's every day. God, help me. Because I can't do this without him. I can't, I, I, I haven't quite figured out how people even breathe without God. Because I, I, in, the, in those moments, and I, when I look at, through, look at the word, and it, it starts, to, starts to rip my heart and my soul apart, I'm like, man, I'm a mess. And that God, you created me, and you love me, but man, I'm messed up. That's the point of Scripture. So here's what I want us to get. I want to give us three things that I believe takes place, that three things that we forget as it relates to who we are. Is number one, we forget what is important. We forget what is important. Everywhere God did something miraculous in all of Scripture, look it all up, specifically in the Old Testament, everywhere God did something miraculous, people would mark the area to always remember what God had done. They would build altars. They would stack stones. They would do all kinds of different things to remember the miraculous things. They would change the names of cities and towns. Matter of fact, there were times when they would come out of a battle, and they, based on how they came out of the battle, they would name the land that they were standing on. 
so that they would always remember what God did. Everywhere, every time he ever did anything miraculous, there is power in never forgetting what is truly important. And what's, what is the most important thing? Jesus said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The most important commandment ever. The most important one, to love him. We forget about that. We forget that it, our job is to love God. And then the flip side of that was to love one another. I tell you what, if, take the whole rest of the Bible, throw it out the window. If you can figure out how to love God and what, love one another, you're going to be in good shape. And see, that was actually a trick thing to say because if you love God and love one another, guess what else follows? Everything else is written. You don't have to throw it out. Everything, else, everything that's written is summed up in that. It even goes back to King Solomon's day. When we think of King Solomon, uh, who was David's son, he was anointed the king of Israel after David, and, and he could have had whatever he wished. God came to him and said, what do you desire? What do you want? And he was... 12 years old when God asked him that question. Imagine, those of you who have 12-year-olds, can you imagine God asking your 12-year-old, I'll give you whatever you want? He'd come up with some pretty creative answers that our kids would say. But Solomon, faced with the task of leading all of Israel at 12 years old, asked God for wisdom to rule over God's people. He said, God, give me wisdom to rule over your people. That's a pretty... That's a pretty mature 12-year-old right there. God, give me wisdom. I think our 12-year-olds today would say, God, give me endless Xbox online. They, they would. And you don't even have to be 12 to ask for that. You could be 30 and ask him for that. In this day and age, you could be 50 and ask him for that. I don't know about 50. 50. I don't know too many 50-year-olds that are engaged that often with the, the video game systems. But there are some. 45-year-olds for certain. That was just for my friend, Sean. But the reality is he asked for wisdom. God gave him wisdom, but God didn't just give him wisdom. God gave him riches, gave him wealth, actually made him the wealthiest person ever to live in history, even to this day. No one's wealth can measure up to what God gave Solomon. But something happened. Israel would experience the greatest years of its life in the 40 years he led. Solomon was anointed king at 12, died at 52 led for 40 years, died young. It's young today, it was young then. He died young and it was 40 years of peace, 40 years of prosperity, considered even by Jews today to be the greatest years in Israel's history. So what happened? Solomon made one very serious mistake. He had forgotten what was important. The Torah, which was the law that the Jews lived by, said to not take many wives. He had... I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it, but he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I got one wife and a lot of gray hair. That's why I keep it short, so you can't see it all. I don't know how, I can't imagine. 700 wives, 300 concubines, and 1,000 women. Yeah, he messed up. He forgot about what was important, and Israel would tumble after that. It would be divided, and it would be conquered, and conquered, and conquered. They'd had victory because it's God's chosen people, so he always brought victory. But man, he brought victory after a lot of death and conquering. Even to this day, Israel has the largest target on its back of nations trying to eliminate it. Not just take their land, but eliminate them from existence. You talk to some folks who hate Israel, they, they are disgusted by the fact that people in Israel even live. 
It's pretty bad. Now, I'm not saying that's all the result of Solomon's sin, but hey, it turned at that point when he forgot what was important. Number two, we forget who we are. This is critical. We forget who we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. Verse 14, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. What's the whole point of that passage of scripture? Know who you are. Know who he made you to be. We can go with individual passages of scripture to talk about the head and not the tail, the apple of his eye, the royal priesthood, chosen generation, and a million other things that he said he was. But it's all summed up in, I believed in God, so I spoke. I believe that I'm chosen, so I speak that I'm chosen. I believe that I have the head and not the tail, so I speak that. Uh, The devil can come to me and say, you know what, Mike, you suck at this and suck at that and suck at that. I said, you know what, you're probably right, but let me tell you something. God chose me still. You know, God anointed me still. God blessed me still. God this still. God that still. Well, you're not a good father. Yeah, you know what, there are times I'm not a good father. But I have a great father to look for, look at, who helps me be a better father. You know, it's all about what you believe, because what you believe is what you speak. When you begin to speak negatively about your life, it's what you believe. I had a conversation recently with someone that says, oh, well, I really believe, but I just don't, I, I, it just, I just don't, it just doesn't impact me. I don't, I don't change this. I said, then you don't believe. Oh, no, no. I, I, and then they use the phrase that I hate more than any other phrase in the history of mankind. They say, I beg to differ. I just want to trick somebody who says that. Like, I hate the phrase. I don't know what it is. I hate the phrase, but they're like, I beg to differ. I'm like, you can beg all you like and differ all you want. If you're not acting on what you say you believe, then the problem is you don't actually believe. Nobody wants to hear that part because they want to believe that they believe. But you speak what you believe. You speak what you believe. We forget who we are. When faith makes its way into our ears, it also finds its way into our hearts. You've got to hear about who you are. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing what? The Word of God. You know that phrase, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It's the same, it's the same action in the English language as the word knock. You know, people think, oh, let me go. And people who come to my house, let me tell you, the kids that come to my house for my kids to come outside, I can't even hide from them. Oftentimes I want to. I just want to, the blinds are down. Don't move. Maybe, maybe they'll go away. Nuh-uh, 11-year-old girls, I, what? They don't go away, they don't stop knocking. My daughter has a friend, she'll call 15 times. She'll just ring her phone 15 times, and my daughter's like, I'm not answering. And she ain't gonna stop calling. It's the same thing. When the Bible says to knock, it literally means to continuously knock. You don't just knock once. If I know you're home, I'm going to beat your door down until you answer it. And if I wake you up, my bad. But if I know you're there, I'm knocking. Come on. I know you're in there. Stop hiding. I hear you breathing. But that's the reality. That's what knocking and the door will be open. You want a door open in your life, keep on knocking. It's the same thing. When you want faith in your life, keep on hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. You can't hear the word of God once and all of a sudden have this faith that changes your life forever. That's not the way God works. The word comes by hearing and continually hearing. 
See, when, oftentimes when our ears hear and our faith is, ro- is, is rising up, our mouth begins to be able to speak. There was a time in my life when I had faith in my life, but I spoke ill of myself. I spoke that I was not good enough. I can't do this, blah, 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 all these other things. I used to speak that way regularly. That was a part of my normal speech pattern. But guess what? Through time of hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing from God, that began to change. It began to change in my life. No matter what, here's, here's, what I, here's what I come to realize, that no matter what the storm or the reason for the storm that we find ourselves in in life, responding in ways that we know aren't how Jesus would have us respond will always lead us to being struggled, being in deathly ill, being hurting, being broken, being depressed, and being these things. But when we walk through these storms and we're able to speak what we know and who we know that we are, it changes. It doesn't always change the situation. You may still be walking through the same storm, but it's a different person. It's a different version of me. Sometimes my storm changes, but most of the time I'm the one who changes. Because that's how you get through those things. Number three, we forget where we're going. We forget where we're going. Galatians chapter 5 verse number 7 says, You were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? All, all that, all, I said that just to say, you, there's somewhere God has for you to go. He likens faith to a race all the time. It's, we're going somewhere. We're running somewhere. There's a finish line somewhere. You may not be able to see it, but he has one for you. And we forget that that's where we're going. We get wrapped up in this mundane idea of life suggesting that, oh, I'm just going with the flow and everything's going to be. No, no. God has a purpose for your life. He has a place he's leading you. You have to walk it out. That's what James is saying. James is saying to walk it out. You can't just listen. You have to do you have to do. I feel like we don't do because we forget who we are. We forget what's important. We forget where we're going. James chapter 1 verse 25 says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's written right there. If I look into the word of God, look at it. If I look into the perfect law, if I look into the word, it's going to set me free. See, that word look into, that when you carefully look into, just so you know, that doesn't mean, uh, good, I got it. Carefully looking into means I am devoting my heart to studying what this says. And I'm allowing it to like, inspect me. Because it, when, it'll set you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for it. You do what it says. Don't forget what you heard. God will bless you for it. What did it say? Love God. Love one another. There should be no hate, no evil, no malice in your heart towards your brother. Give and it will be given to you. I could stand up here and preach every single thing that we are to do. It's not a do and don't checklist in faith. It suggests that if I carefully look into the law, carefully look into the word, it sets me free. It sets me free from what? From me. It doesn't set me free from anything but me. If I, if I, have, if I don't give, when the offering comes around and I don't give anything, then I, my faith in what God can provide for me is pretty low. It needs to be built. If I give a little bit, it's, it's a little bit, but I, I need God to grow my faith. And what is he doing? He's setting me free from me. That's the challenge in life, to be set free from ourselves. So attached with that, there are three things I'm going to give you 
This is the plan. This is the plan that follows the word, the plan that God has. Number one, release your potential. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared, prepared for those who love him. No mind has seen, no eye has seen, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for you. Not just in heaven, which is what this passage of scripture speaks of, but what's on earth. No one can even comprehend what God has in store for you. Your parents can't even comprehend it. I don't care how much of a relationship with God they have. I'm a pastor of a church. I preach the gospel. I study the word on a daily basis. I can't even comprehend what God has for my children. That's, that's his word. Release your potential. Truth be told, you can't even fathom what your potential is. Only our creator can. Only God who made you knows all you're capable of being. I'll tell you right now, when I first gave my life to Christ and couldn't stop cussing and couldn't stop smoking, the last thing I'd ever do is stand here and preach. Ever in my life. But God said that I would. And he has done it. Doesn't matter. Like it says, your parents, your spouse, your friends, your boss, they only get a glimpse of your potential. What you actually have in you. And you want to unlock that kind of potential, you want to unlock the kind of potential that God has in you, it's real simple. Learn God's word, accept God's word, obey God's word. Learn, accept, obey. You want to unlock potential? Learn what this says. Accept what it says. Obey what it says. Let me tell you where it will take you. Places you couldn't even imagine. So, release your potential. Number two, renew your passion. Renew your passion. One of the things that, remember when I was hired in my first full-time ministry position, John, you can come and get set now if you would, please. Remember when I was hired in my first full-time ministry position, the pastor who hired me, he said this, he said, man, the thing that, the thing that I love most about you is your zeal and your passion. And I was like, man, that's great. And I found myself years later at a point in my life where I didn't have zeal anymore. I didn't have passion anymore. I was like, I'm just going through the steps, going through the motions. And I've had people come to me and I've had people say, make statements like, man, I just, there was just a, a switch in you, something that just changed. And I try to rationalize all these other reasons and all these other things that I might have been doing. Maybe I was doing this better. Maybe I was doing that better. But the reality is I got to a place in my life where I renewed my passion. Not just my passion for the church and the body of Christ and what he, but my passion for Jesus. Man, you know, and I know I'm just preaching to the choir here with you, but you know how hard it can be sometimes to stay passionate about God in the world that we live in and the struggles that we face day to day, the decisions and choices that we're faced with we're making, and to stay passionate about Jesus? It's tough. It's tough. And sometimes, sometimes it's just difficult. Second Timothy, Timothy said in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he said, this is why I remind you. Still the letter written to Timothy. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. To fan it into flames, you got to take action. If you can teach, teach. Stop sitting on your rear end. If you can help, help. If you can write, write. If you can sing, sing. If you can sing, I love to sing, but I can't sing, so I don't sing. That's why I see, my, uh, I, I stand up here all the time. Because I don't want to subject anyone back here to my voice. 
just my worship team. I'll subject them to my voice. I figure there's enough noise up here that they can't hear me. I can't sing, but I love to sing. If you can cook, then cook. Cook a meal and give it to someone. If you can give, give. If you can build, build. If you can serve, serve. If you can lead, then lead. That's how you, that's how you renew your passion. Last one is this. Restore your freedom. Psalm 119, verse 45, David writes, I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I have devoted myself to the word of God. I have devoted myself to seeking his righteousness. You know, the Bible even says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I devoted my heart and my life to that, and because of that, I will walk in freedom. Sometimes you've just got to speak it before you actually feel it, but you will walk in freedom if you devote yourself to the commandments of God, the Word of God. And to wrap up James chapter 1, 26 and 27, this is the harsh part. I love James because he just writes so bluntly. This is the harsh part. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. It's worthless. You can't control your tongue. You can't control your mouth. You've got hateful things to say or think. Your religion is worthless. And then he goes on to say, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I see people say, you know, I love Jesus but hate religion. I love religion. I love Jesus and I love religion. I don't love doing church in a religious way just for the sake of tradition and because that's the only way it can work. But I love, because religion is, according to this, pure and genuine religion is in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows. Caring for orphans and widows. And you can take that literally and go and, and, and adopt and foster and that's, a, that's absolutely noble and a very important thing to do because it's commanded in Scripture. Care for the orphans. Maybe you can't adopt, but you can support others that do. Maybe, maybe there's something you can do and then there's widows. But here's what both of them represent. Both of them represent people who need love. You can go on. I mean, the Bible always also talks in many other places about those that are poor and less fortunate. You want to have genuine faith? And I, and I tell you what, I, a recent, not necessarily a change, but an enlightening and an opening of my eyes to seeing a level of faith in which I have not seen in, in years was brought by people who came, who've come to this church who just so willingly and lovingly opened their home to traumatize children from other nations and to say, uh, it's, the, it's the greatest image of what Christ did for you and me because he crafted us into his family, being Gentiles. No one in here is a, a Jew from Israel. So you're not part of the chosen. You're part of the grafted and then chosen. But he grafted you into his family. 
That's what people who adopt do. They take children and graft them into their family. They don't, they don't announce them as these are my adopted children. These are my children. Just the same as their flesh. That's, what, that's the ultimate image of what Jesus did for us. You are his children. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And the last part of that is refusing to let the world corrupt you. The Bible is true today. It's as true today and relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. I don't care what person will stand in front of me and say, oh, well, the Bible's not relevant. It's more relevant, I believe, today than it's ever been. And not because there's more problems and issues today. There are, but only because there's a greater number of people. The same sin back then is the same sin today. It's just broadcasted for the world because of social media now and technology and then the multiplication of the number of people on earth. That's the only reason why it seems like sin is so much greater. It's not any greater today than it was in the times of the word. That's why this is as relevant today as it was then. But man, God has this great and mighty thing in store for you. That if you just be hearers and doers of the word, not just hearing it, not just listening to it, but doing it. Man, the blessing. He said it was freedom, it was peace, it was love, it was joy. All these, you can, if you do this, as it's connected to the word, then this will take place. They're endless. But you've got to connect yourself to the word.